It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's the fighting. It's the fighting. Welcome listeners to another episode of the Extra Inch Podcast. I'm your host, Windy, and this time I'm not joined by my psychic and best friend, Bardi, or my tactics guy, Nathan A. Clark, but I've got two youth football experts with me. Firstly, Carl, who's been on the podcast with me before. Hello, Carl. Hi, guys. And I'm with Kai Barrett as well, who's uh, West Ham United's youth follower on Twitter. Hello, Kai. Hi, guys. Good evening. And before I introduce them both properly, as you may have heard in our previous two episodes, we've got ourselves a sponsor for the next couple of months. And it's a sponsor specifically chosen as it might be of interest to our listeners. So we've teamed up with OneFootball, which is a football app. It's available in the App Store and Google Play. You can personalise your newsfeed, you can set up notifications, and it's got a nice user-friendly interface that makes it easy to keep up to date with transfer news, scores and stats. It's all in one central place. So check out the OneFootball app if you get a moment and let us know what you think of it. So we've invited Carl and Kai onto the Extra Inch because they're both experts on youth football and there's definitely an appetite for talking about youth football, I think, at the moment, uh, particularly with Jaden Sancho being in the England team. So uh, let's start off with Kai. Kai, can you tell us a bit about yourself and your interest in youth football and how it's developed? Hi, guys. Um, my name's Kai Barrett. Uh, I run the WHUFC Youth account on Twitter and I've done that since November 2014 uh, with the website as well. Uh, I'm just a guy who's passionate about youth football. Um, I work closely with youth folk. I've also contributed for websites like Off The Post News. And it's just, like I said, it's just a passion of mine. I don't think there's any better feeling than supporting a club when you see a player who's come all the way through the academy and just making the first team. And some of the stuff I do, I write about youth football and I'm involved with sort of keeping statistics and that. And uh, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And Carl, we've podcasted together before, but give us a bit of background about um, yourself and your interest in youth football and how you how you keep up to date with it all. Well, I'm not as impressive as Kai, but um, <laughs> I, I start. I don't know. Just to be honest, I started following your youth updates on um, on your blog back in the day, um, Chris, and <laughs> really interesting. And got got me into it. I've always been involved in coaching um, for cricket and um, youth work. And as Kai said, I don't think there's anything better really than just finding out, just seeing someone break through into the first team and finding out the development process behind what makes someone such a quality player. So then started um, paying attention more to the youth football, going games, and then there you go. Just you just find yourself in it and um, the interest grabs. That's exactly it. So what we're going to do, we're going to have a bit of a deep dive um, on youth football. So we're going to split this into two parts. And in the first part, we're going to focus on the changes in academy football, which have led to 
player output improving generally and what this might mean for English football. And then we're going to think a bit about the reason why so many young players are moving abroad and what English clubs could consider doing differently in order to keep them. So to start off with the changes in, in academies, I think, Kai, can we start with you? If we can get you to talk a little bit about the Elite Player Performance Plan, which was introduced in 2012. Um, there's one question in particular from, from Bardi, who is my, my usual sidekick on this podcast. He wanted to know the rules regarding um, recruiting youth players, the fact that it's no longer based on geography. Are you able to give us any information about that and talk about the EPPP in general? Yeah, of course. Um, obviously, like you said, it was introduced in 2012. There was sort of a big reboot because uh, initially back in the day, um, the the competitions were split into under-17s and under-19s up until around 2004 before it came under-18s and reserves. And 2012, one of the most notable changes was the whole reserve system was scrapped and introduced with under-21s. And like uh, as Badi's asked, um, changes in sort of geography and recruiting players, it's changed a bit. So um, academies are now ranked, there's four categories, category one's highest, so that's you guys, that's West Ham, that's Arsenal, all the big teams, well not necessarily big teams, <laughs> and then category two has got, you've got a bit of a range, there's like things like Watford, all the way down to Colchester, so it's a bit of a mix, and then obviously category three, category four, and basically it's quite a controversial thing. Clubs that have a higher category rating, uh, they're able to recruit uh, young players from further afield than it was before. So, for example, Tottenham might be able to to get a player from Cambridge without sort of less hassle, if that makes sense. Absolutely. It changes things a bit for those um, those clubs in regions where there's no other clubs nearby, I guess, because it means that they don't necessarily get first dibs on, on those players they, they would have done previously. So um, it's, it's interesting in that respect. What... What what have you made, Carl, of the um the the, re- the changes that this has led to in the kind of the player development? Do, have you noticed a discernible difference between the quality of player coming now since before that would have been an affair? Yeah, so um, I think so. As, as as you know, we sort of um revamped our academy really back in like two thousand five. Um, I think Chelsea did something similar and Man City. So I think that was where it all somewhat started. I think England then. Um, I mean the FA also. Uh, change their coaching structure because I think they realised there was sort of a lack of coaches compared to other countries. I think England had something like one one um, UEFA A, B or pro coach per, I think it was uh, 812 players compared to Spain and other countries that had it, the ratio was more like 1 to 150 or 1 to 19 or something like that. So we were really lagging. So I think the FA focused a lot of money towards improving the coaches and let the clubs focus on um, improving their players with a revamp. And then I think that was all around 2005 and as the players improved, I think then the EPP came in and it basically sort of funneled any player that was in any other um, club towards the best academies and made things a lot easier. So you're already getting the quality coaching, then the EPP comes in, takes even good players in other like lesser clubs and helps get them to the top clubs and then you're creating even better players, that makes sense? So it's just, um, it's, what's, what do you call it? It's like the perfect storm. And so you're getting quality coaches, quality players, quality grassroots coaching initially. And then, and I think you just see it in last summer where finally we just started winning everything in, in international level. Um, and you could see it, you could see the beginnings of it coming through when, um, like Chelsea were, um, uh, winning all their club competitions at academy level. I think we've even won a few. I know, uh, Man City have won a lot. And it, it, yeah, it's just come to, to come to a head now. And we're just sort of dominating international football at youth level. So clearly, there's a lot of benefits for the for the output of England as a as a whole as a nation in terms of the play the best players are at the clubs with the best coaches and the best facilities and I think that's it's difficult to argue with that 
Mm. But there are other issues caused by that. So we're going to talk a lot more, probably in part two, about opportunities for young players. But do you, do you feel like the changes, Kai, were, were, were the right changes to make? And do you feel that we've got the best structure that we could have in this country for developing the best young talent? Well, yeah, as, um, as Kyle said, um, as well as developing players, it's about developing coaches. And that's obviously an important thing because you can have all the best players in the world, but without the right coach, you can't really get the best out of them. And like you said, we start to see that, obviously, with Gareth Southgate in the World Cup. But before at youth level, um, uh, the under-17s winning the World Cup with Steve Cooper uh, last year. And there's the under-20 World Cup and all these things going on. Youth level, we're seeing lots as players sort of now... They're back in the, obviously the 2000 generation, currently under 19s, they were, they were like 12 when this happened. They were sort of had, they were at that age where the impact was sort of, it was on them, if that makes sense. Yeah. And each year, as we get in the new generations internationally, we're getting some really good players coming through. Uh, the 2001s, they were unlucky in the Euros a few months ago. I was lucky enough to go watch some of the games there. And obviously it was just sort of a luck of a draw type thing. Because you look at countries such as Holland, who knocked them out, they've had that sort of going for quite a long time. And obviously the senior team might not be as good as it is now, but anyway, going off on one. I think in the end, this the whole EPP thing, it does have its flaws, but I do think that it is sort of the right direction going forward. And we're starting to, see, we're starting to have the benefits and uh, starting to see them pay off. Yeah. Um, I suppose, the, the, sorry, Carl. Yeah, go for it. I just want to quickly add to that. Um, like you said about the improvement of the players and Kai touching it, when we, for example, um, we developed our academy in 2005, the, I think the first people would have felt the benefits of who were under 16 at the time would have been the Mason age group. You know that, Chris? Yeah, that's right. So we, we already saw how much better they were than their predecessors. And ever since then, you can just see the quality or the firstly, the number of quality players and the actual ability of these players that are coming through has just improved with every single age group I've noticed. Obviously, some age groups are better than others in, in that respect, but you can see the quality as as the younger age groups have had more of the benefits of that quality coaching, that makes sense? So, Oh yeah, that that makes total sense. I feel like one of the main um, changes I noticed in that, that Ryan Mason age group, we'll call it that for shorthand, was that there were players who weren't big, they weren't quick, they were just small, slight guys who were happy to take the ball in tight situations and do things with it to get themselves out of trouble and pass the ball. And that was the first time we'd really seen like three or four players who were a bit smaller than others in, in one team. And, and the coaches were happy to chuck them in because they were so technically advanced. It wasn't a problem to have them in there. I'm just interested, Kai, is that the same at West Ham? Is there a, is there a philosophy there where players don't have to be a certain size in order to make it? They can be a bit smaller and they still get trusted to, to play. Yeah, I think definitely we've sort of had quite a mix these last few seasons. Uh, as you said, quality, I'd say it's improved. Uh, some of the few scholarship intakes we've had over the past season. There was groups such as the 2015 one, uh, where it had lots of Reese Oxford, Jamal Hector Ingram, Vashkon Nerfil, and I want to say right now the current under-16s we've got. Uh, I've got high hopes for that group, but obviously I won't say too much <laughs> right now. <laughs> Just think, do want to jinx it. But there's we've sort of seen like a difference. So um, I think there's always been like a steady quality. Obviously, there's been some groups where there's it's not nothing to write home about but just one or two good players in there who are in with a chance and it's more sort of about consistency and in a way I'd rather have five groups in a row who are all don't get me wrong good players but no not elite class just yet but they've got the potential to become that rather than one sort of group every five years where it's just a big horde of excellent players that don't sort of really gel together if that makes sense. 
we've definitely seen that with Spurs in terms of, you know, back in the day, you'd get one player perhaps who had potential to make first team squads and they would throw everything at that one player and they'd do everything they possibly could to make him the best he could be. And now the quality is spread so much more thinly in a good way, um, but it comes with its own challenges. And, you know, we've been talking about how the elite player performance plan is such a good thing and it, and it surely is for, for English football. Um, but there are some downsides and, and one of them that I'd, I'd like to get your thoughts on um, initially is the is the Premier League 2. So this is this is what essentially replaced the Reserve League. Originally it was an under-21 league, it was then made under-23. Um, and I've had, I've had numerous issues with it and it's partly the way that Spurs use it. So Kai, you might not, you may or may not be aware that Spurs don't ever or very, very rarely include, um, first team players in those matches. So even if we've got players coming back from injury, we, we don't tend to throw them into these games to, um, to get them back into the swing of things, which, you know, that, that's a, that's a strategic decision and, and fine. Um, but we also experiment quite a lot and we tend to, we tend to not use the loan system as much nowadays and we stick players in the in the PL2 instead. And even if they're not quite at the required level to make first team grade, they'll get game after game after game in that in that league, um, presumably to boost their profile, to give them an opportunity to, to progress, which is admirable in a sense. But it does mean that you get a lot of the younger players who are clearly good enough to step up on the bench or, or not used until a year later. Um Interested to get your thoughts on how the PL2 works for, for West Ham. How, how do they tend to use it? And do you think it, the, their use of it is a, is a good thing? I'm going to be honest. I'm like you. I'm not a huge fan of it. And when we don't, we rarely sort of include first team players every once in a while. Yeah, we might do, but it's not a, a regular occurrence. And I suppose that's a, a, a good and a, and a bad thing. But it's just like, like I said, with the loan system, I would rather have uh, under 23 players out on loan doing well. I'm playing, but you've got to look at it not just from the club's perspective. The player they need to they need game time, and we have been dreadful with the loan system. Uh, There's one player I'm, I'm going to highlight: um, Moses Makassi. Uh, if you know me, you know I'm a big fan of him, defensive midfielder. Um, he is currently 22, and the only loan he had was last season, and that was at Plymouth. Not not counting the month he spent at, he spent at Chelsea. And we've in the past we've had players who reached 21 and they've had no first team uh, appearances at any any level because they've been rotting in the Premier League too or the under 21 league or whatever it is. And there's no sort of real uh, yet. Well, no, Josh Collins has been alright with loans actually. Um, but there's sort of so there's uh, yeah yeah. Out of curiosity, why do you, does West Ham not send the players on loan? Because we know um, at, our, at um, Spurs, it was in um, Pochettino preferred to keep preferred to keep them um, coached under his sort of regime, so to speak. So our better players would have to stay under him and wouldn't go on loan. And it would be seen to be as basically a, a nail in the coffin if you were sent on loan before. So I know that was Spurs' policy, but why do you think West Ham aren't sending their players on loan? You know, I'm I'm not too sure. It's like, it would be fine if there was more people getting a chance. But I'm thinking like Sam Allardyce, he was a manager who never sort of really wanted to give you opportunities. And if it was a loan, it was still at the conference. Nothing wrong with that, of course, but it's not the sort of level for sort of older players. And was um just going back onto that sort of point, there's like, there's people are getting to the age where they had no first team experience and they find it hard to find a club and it has the impact on them. Uh not just on not just football wise, but I think mentally as well, because it's hard for them to find a new club and things can spiral and you know, there's been the case with uh once in a while with uh players sadly. But it's um it's not sort of really competitive anymore, the PL2, because you get some clubs who try and field the youngest team possible. 
And if you're someone who doesn't pay attention to the Pill 2, you think, oh, well, that's a great thing. They've got a young team, they're given all the opportunities, but it's more of a competition to who can sort of play the, the least. I think the exact same thing, by the way. That's yeah, the exactly. Yeah. It feels like the competition, who can play the youngest side to say, oh, look, our side is this young and beating that side. But in the end, there's no actual competition because there's no older players playing. There's no real first teamers in there. It's just 17 and 18-year-olds and it's just a slightly sh- strong... I don't even know if it's a slightly stronger version of the under-18s because it's this kind of like the strongest under-18s with the left behind under-23. So it's not that competitive. But it's just a very strange situation going on in PL2 at the moment. Seeing, just following on from that, I think there's there's also been a rise statistically in under-16 players being used in under-23s since the introduction of the Premier League 2 than there was before. And I think usually at most clubs there will be an under-16 player who will have already made his under-23 debut. We had two last season, we had um, a couple the season before that. Obviously, Reese Oxford was captain in the under-21s when he was when he was uh, 15. So it's it's very like, what's the word? There's sort of no... It's, it, I think the whole thing, to sum it up, I think is pointless. It's a really difficult one because it's... You know, I, I've been incredibly critical over the last two years of the PL2, and it's it's partly been Spurs' um, management of, of that particular league. And, you know, in my in, from my perspective, it seems almost that the coaching at, that goes on at that particular level at Spurs is, is problematic as well, because I've seen players stagnate so regularly. Um, but on the other hand, it's really difficult to think of an alternative. And one potential alternative is what they do in Spain, where they have B teams which enter the football league or the equivalent in Spain, lower down the structure. And we've kind of taken one step towards that with the checker trade trophy. So play, clubs can enter an under-21 team into the checker trade. And Spurs, for example, last week beat Gillingham 4-0. Uh, we had we had 16, 17-year-olds playing in this match. And it's difficult to imagine that that's not a great opportunity for them. You know, they're playing against, they're playing against men who are experienced, who, who've been playing in the football league for a number of years. They will learn so much from those, from those games. Um, and I, and I, I kind of, I'm opposed to the concept of, of the under 21 side entering the checker trade from a kind of, uh, football league perspective. But from an academy perspective, I think it's such a great idea. And I think it's going to drive, drive the quality of, um, of English clubs academy output. Um, forward, and I think it's a good step. Do you, Carl? Do you do you have any thoughts on the um, the checker trade tr- trophy and how Spurs or how clubs are using that now? Yeah, I think um, I do get the, the the controversy behind it. I do completely understand the, the the lower level clubs feeling maybe undermined or undervalued by it. I do get that, and um, it, the the traditionalist in me says that it's a bad thing. But if we're ever going to see development, um, we, we need these young players playing against adults. Um, and it just, if they're not going to be sent on loan or if people aren't ever going to want to give them that chance in the first team because they've not done it against adults, I can't really, I can only think it's a good, um, it's a good thing in that respect to give them that sort of experience. Um, it's, it's, I think at the moment, having it in a checker trade, the checker trade, um, couple of moments is, is a good thing because it's, 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 it's not in the football league. It's, it's a separate competition and it's a, it's a way of easing it in. I think it's the best of both roles at the moment. Um, it's a good compromise, but I can imagine. Yeah. Problems if you start sticking them in the actual football league and people will get upset with that. And rightly so, but I mean, like you say, there there is a middle ground which is the loan structure, and I'm sure we could talk a lot more about um, about loans, probably in part two. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. 
You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. But what I'm going to talk about now is it's kind of the hot topic in English football, which is young players leaving Premier League clubs and going abroad for opportunities. So from a Spurs perspective, this summer we've seen um, Noni Maduki, uh, Keenan Bennett and, and Rio Griffiths all leave to go to European teams. But from a Premier League perspective, it's a much wider issue as such. Um, so the big name, obviously, is Jaden Sancho, who's now playing Bundesliga football and has registered the most assists in top five European league, which is incredible. Um, but there are there are other lesser known players, um, Panzo and Heinz as well, who've who've gone abroad in search of in search of opportunity. So the first thing I'd like to ask you, Kai, is why are young players leaving English clubs? I think um, the main reason is obviously lack of opportunity, and that sort of depends on the manager of the club, really. Because uh, like I said earlier, Sam Allardyce was a manager who never really wanted to give young players a chance. But and there's managers who who will like obviously Pochettino. He's given quite a few players debuts uh, since he's been around for you guys, and that sort of lack of opportunity and it's sort of like a domino effect. One person goes abroad and then other people see how well they're doing and follow suit. And Jaden Sancho, obviously last season he was involved. That was sort of you could say maybe that was sort of the catalyst for for most players because I think more have gone abroad this season than last. But I think it's quite an admirable thing to do because obviously they're young guys. It's a whole different country to them. It's 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 brave, but it's it's it's, it's paying off. Um, I think Jonathan Panzer, he's a player who I really like. I'm a big fan of his. He's joined AS Monaco, and there's he's sort of in with a chance of of making it there. And if he does, then that's brilliant because not only he's he's doing well for his career, England as a country, surely that will get him into the England senior team. And I for one hope he, I hope he does because I'm I think he's one of the best young centre backs we've we've got right now. So. So yeah. Are there any West Ham players that have been linked with moves abroad over the last year, eighteen months? No, not not as much. Mate, only on a loan basis. We've sort of got like um, I'm not sure how if it's sort of more prominent as it is now. Uh, VVV Venlo in Holland. Uh, we've obviously got Martin Samuelson, but I weren't really classing him as an academy player. He's on loan at the moment. Sam Westley was there. Uh, even though he was the, <laughs> the academy manager's son. I say <laughs> I'll say no more about that one. <laughs> but um. It's, but there's players, obviously, Reese Oxford's, that's the, that's the prime example. Uh, Munch and Gladbeck, they want to have him there on a permanent basis. And I will, I was probably, I was going to say, um, I read an interview, uh, with a guy, I think, it was, a, I think it was at Schalke, or may have been another German team, it was a while. Uh, they, they're watching sort of young, like, under 18s, under 16s games in England. And I would imagine, I suppose, having that, if you're a player who's been called up by England internationally, there's more chance of you going abroad because you have more of that status, if that makes sense, as like Absolutely. a player who's gonna has potential to get to the top. So I would assume uh, a few of our international youngsters will have interest from abroad. 
Carl, what is it about these players that means they can't get opportunities for English clubs and yet top European clubs are queuing up to sign some of them? What's what's going wrong? I don't know. I think it's um I think it's maybe maybe a, a couple of things actually. So um I think in Europe they may just see things differently to England. So I think that in Europe it's more of a you give a young person an opportunity, whereas in England we think of it as they have to wait for an opportunity and then take it. It's never actually the I don't think in England they have we have that belief in young players. Um, if you look at Sancho, for example, if he stayed and if, if he stayed at Man City, really and truly, he would not be in the England team now. If we when we were linked with him, he would have come in with zero experience and he'd be going for the same thing over and over again of playing Premier League two football and maybe training with the first team. Yeah. Um, whereas when he went to Dortmund, it was a case of they handed him the number seven shirt because they trusted him and they gave him the opportunities to pay for the first team straight away because they believed in his talent and they saw an opportunity for him. Um, I'm, and I'm trying to think, so there's, there's, that's the main reason. I think it's just belief and trust. I think, additionally, there's a massive fallout from um, the pre-restructuring. So if you can think about when um, the type of players that were being produced before and who were just not up to scratch, I think there's so much distrust in the um, youth football still that they just don't think they are good enough to be playing for the first team. And I think that's sort of um, uh, um, the hangover effect from such a poor system for the last how many years. Um, yeah, I think those are the two main issues. And, and, I, and I think actually one final one is the money in football. I think there's so much money in the Premier League that when you can just go out and buy spend 25 million on an average player, but with experience, which sort of it, it, some, it's like false reliability, you'll rather do that than take the risk of paying a youngster who hasn't got any experience because they may do badly. When really and truly, I don't think experience matters that much, especially when you're buying average players. I think um, the top quality youngsters will more than make up for that. They might make a few mistakes in the first five matches, but then they'll prove their weight in gold and and be so much more value add so much more value to the club than if you if once you start um, give them more than ten games, so to speak. So I think there's uh, money and and also I think, um, the European um, clubs appreciate. The talent we have more. I remember Munch um, and Gladbach's um, to football mentioned that we in England have the best age group from uh, between 1999 and those born in 2001. Whereas in England, we just that's why they're going after our youngsters because they see what we're doing. Because in England, we just we just don't appreciate it. Because even though we've had this um, great year in 2017, I just don't think it's going to change that much because we just don't appreciate what we have. I can only hope that the likes of Sancho making the England squad will change the mindset of, of some of the, the key people in, in charge of getting these young players opportunity in, in first teams, because it's clear the quality's there. You know, we're the, we've won basically everything at every age group for the, for the last 18 months, which means our young players are technically better than the young players in the same age groups in all the other European leagues. I think it's, it's difficult to argue against that. And yet, we would see signing an under-18 German player as a really exciting kind of signing. If 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 Spurs were linked with an under-18 Spanish striker now, everyone would be saying, oh, you know, he's going to be a star, he's going to be a top-class player. And yet, we've probably got an, an equivalent player sat in our under-18s who people wouldn't be too excited about. And and it's that kind of unknown. It's the, it's the, the, the idea of signing a player is still, for some reason, more exciting than promoting a youngster in the eyes of many. And I, th- I think slowly that needs to change, and we need to change. We need to reassess how we how we view young players. And you used the term there, risk, and I think that's in the eyes of fans. That's st- that that's certainly the, still the term that I hear or, or see on Twitter in particular over and over again. Playing this young player is too much of a risk. When actually 
you know, we, we so in Spurs' case, we're we're playing Sissoko or we're playing Aurier and they're having bad games and yet they're keeping their place in the squad in the team. Kyle Walker Peters comes in and has two men of the match performances and yet playing him is more is seen as more of a risk than playing Aurier, who's actually had actively bad games. And and that to me doesn't stack up and the, the logic doesn't quite fit. And the only thing I can think that that might be the rationale for persisting with Aurier, and and don't get me wrong, I'm you know not actively against Aurier. I think he's fine. Um, but the the main reason I think they're sticking with him is because they paid twenty twenty four million or whatever for him because he's on a high wage, because he's getting performance bonuses, and they want to keep him happy so that he doesn't disrupt the squad. Now the mindset needs to change. We need to not sign players like that in the first place. Instead, utilize the young players we've got at our disposal and give them an opportunity. And, you know, it's not always going to work out and that's fine. You know, we're going to have Jake Livermore, we're going to have Stephen Corkers and they're going to move on and we're going to make millions from them and that's absolutely fine. But we might have a Harry Winks or a Harry Kane. Oh yeah, exactly, that's a success as well. Could I, sorry, could I just add... Yeah, um, Kai, please do. Uh, we've got this whole culture of signing players and like you said, just from the first team clubs, I'm going to say Chelsea, they're, they're, they're sort of known. They sign, they'll spend 30 million on a pounds on like a left back from Italy. He's had a few good games, but because he's, what, 26... That's, he's, he's a good player and this sort of culture sort of seeps down um, into into youth levels like we've seen sort of the transfer market there's like a, a second transfer market under 18 level and I think Manchester City even us we've signed players from abroad who will have a few international caps but they're average and we have better players already and that's the, that's the sort of thing why I think that young players are going abroad it sort of links to that because obviously we we see players coming in from abroad but you've got to remember People in Germany will, will sort of see England how we see Germany, if that makes sense. And players sort of, it's like, it's very, it's sort of also like a publicity thing because you'll put, let's say, the club, they sign uh, a Spain under 17 international for £1 million and it goes on the website. All the fans are thinking, wow, this is brilliant. This guy is going to be the next whoever. Excellent stuff. They, they don't go to the under 18 games. They don't, they, they, they watch him. They don't see him putting in loads of averages performances, blah, 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 not making it. And But in the meantime, the the young striker on the bench was like five times better than him and he could have had a shot. But no, clubs would rather sort of have this whole, you know... It's a bit like on Football Manager when, you, when you're scrolling through the, the under-19 teams of random countries and you, you sign a random player and they do absolutely awful, if, if that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> we've had people we've signed who aren't very good at going to the youth teams and then what you'll get is people asking how they're getting on because they they're expecting that person to make it, and they might even just be from the club, like a um like a, a tryout signing. Do you know what I mean? Bring them in, see if there's some potential, but see how they're getting on. If you watch them regularly, they're not performing that well, and then they'll take the spot of a young another youngster who's just as good or better. But fans won't care about that because that youngster's always been there. Whereas that, that new person who costs money, it's like a it's like a shiny new toy. They're thinking, oh, what what's going on here? When's he gonna When's he gonna make it? And I, I and I do I do think it's just it's like grass is always greener. I think um, I remember uh, I don't know if any of you guys have heard of him. His, his name's Sam King. He's another um, youth watcher and he writes some good blogs. And he he mentioned it too. Yeah, he's excellent. Yeah. About um, red wine tasting or wine tasting, and they did blindfold tests. And when it, they gave exactly the same wine, when um, gave a blind test, and when they said one is more expensive than the other, people rated that as tasting better. And I think it's exactly the same situation you find in football in general and and anywhere else is. As soon as something comes with value to it, it instantly seems as better than what you already have. That's such a great point, Carl. I think, and, and actually, it makes me think straight away of Soli Koulibaly, who 
he came with such a big reputation. Do you remember him? And what a player I, that was. <laughs> honestly, I would get message, I would get tweets every day at, at first about Sonny Kudabani. How's Kudabani getting on? How's Kudabani doing? You know, we had players in our academy at the same same age group who were far better than Kudabani, but because he came in with a reputation, they were only interested in hearing about him. Just as an example of that, do you remember Shaquille Coulter, sir? I thought yes, strike initially, and he, I felt he had to make way was pushed on the wings for Kudabani, and then I quite agree. right almost stifled for this young player and then everyone will completely forget about him and I thought he was a very decent player but that's an example that's a that's sort of what happens as well because I think Cortez is a player um when he was around I I I, I quite liked him as well uh, from my point of view and it's happened at West Ham before um obviously Tony Martin has uh, we signed him because he'd scored however many goals for Valencia's youth team that's great but that's for Valencia that's not doing it for us and Jamal Hector Ingram who I mentioned earlier I think he at the time was probably our best striker in the academy and his development has been halted massively because the club has that might we we basically signing him for the under 23s and that's another thing that annoys me about pl2 players have been signed just for the under 23s to fill in the gap and anyway hector ingram's development i think it's hadn't had a loan he's barely had under 23 game time and he suffered because we've signed an average striker who scored loads against some some poor spanish teams and that's what really annoys me have to say, you guys, the passion that um, you guys are, are speaking about with this um, makes me feel a bit better about how angry I get when I speak to people about <laughs> youth football. So, so, so thank you for that. Thank you for that. We're going to wrap this up. Um, we're going to talk a lot more about Spurs specifically in, in the second part of this podcast. Uh, but we're going to end on a few questions. So we had loads of questions from various people. But we'll start off with um, a question from Nathan, who's a regular on this podcast normally. He said, with John McDermott being linked to the England setup, are you worried? Carl, do you want to start on this? Would you be concerned if John McDermott were to leave Spurs to take up a role with England? Um, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm not too sure on this. Just for the plain fact, I don't know what other coaches or the quality of coaches that are out there that could replace McDermott. He seems to be doing an excellent job since he's come in. Um, he, he heads up everything. The quality of players that have been produced under him have been outstanding in my point of view. So him leaving would be a very bad thing in my, point, in my um, opinion. But... I don't know who's out there that'd be able to replace him. For example, if we've got someone in similar, I know um, if you look, there's other academies like Fulham have an excellent academy, even um, West Brom have an excellent academy. So I know there's other people out there that are producing top quality um, players and they're from lesser academies, so to speak, that we could poach. I, I don't know who their, their heads of the academies are. So it'd be bad if he left. I just don't know. It'd be great for England, I think, but I'd be unable to say whether it'd be a bad thing or whether he'd be able to be replaced easily or not um, without too much knowledge of what's out, what else is out there. That's a fair point. Do you know much about John McDermott, um, Kai? Presumably not so much. Um, I don't think not as much as you guys. I mean, I've heard good things. Um, I think with the whole, it's like the, the boot system you guys have, where players kind of have certain colour boots, and something as simple as that, that's obviously gone a long way. And looking from the quality of players you've produced and you've got right now, he must be doing a good job. And the solution, I've got to say a special mention to uh, Justin Cochrane. Uh, he's still with you guys, isn't he? I yeah. think I think he's a he's a really good coach, and I'm not sure he'd be. Oh, <laughs> where's he gone? Brilliant. Of course, yeah, you're and quite right. This this is what you got to look at. Like, I'm I personally, I'm I'm sort of club over country. Um, but looking, you've got to develop. Having a good coach in England setup will do well for. It's like you've got to be like a what's the word? Bit bit selfless and say, well, this is sort of for the greater good. If that makes sense, having him go to England will probably have a good impact on English youth football as a whole. It's the whole England DNA thing, isn't it? They want yeah. coaches to help um, juice players through each age group. I think, what did Dan Ashworth say? 
it's the size of the shirt that changes. That's that's the only thing that should change. So you want to have the best coaches in England to be able to take advantage of the quality players you're getting. So it's it's sad that he's left, but it can only be good for England in that sense. Spot on. So we'll end with one question from from Mittel from from Twitter. And Carl, you mentioned earlier that you see. Livermore and Corker as successes. Mittel says, in the last 20 years, we've produced three players who've gone on and been real players for Tottenham in Stephen Carr, Ledley King and Harry Kane. He said, I don't count players like Mason Livermore, Corker. I think it's a good return, but some might say it's low. What do you think? Carl, do you want to start? What What do you think of Spurs' return in terms of the number of players they've developed over the past past 20 years? Um, so I personally think, again, it's how I think Livermore, the Masons and all that are successes, the Corkers, I think they're all successes. I feel that as uh, so prior to the academy rebound, we had I think yeah Carr King Crouch and and you mentioned it, Sol Campbell and I think as an output, as good an output as any other club had at that time. Since the revamp, um, we've had from the Mason age group and for about five years between um, the 1995 born to the 1990s, we were producing about we produced about ten players. I don't know, but that player might play for the first team at different different levels. But now, since then, we're not really producing. Uh, we I have my own opinion of what's going on there, but we their output isn't as good. But I think if you can get, I think it's possible to have honestly one per season to be integrated. But relative to um relative to um um over the course of twenty years, I think I think our output's as good as anyone else's. But I think we should be doing better. By being honest. I think the fact that Mason Livermore and Corker have all played for England shows that we're developing quality players. And, you know, even if we're saying they're the, the lower end of, of the players that we're producing, that's impressive. That The fact that we're the players that we're disappointed with are making international appearances has got to be a good thing. Um, and of course, let's not forget, we've sold them for big money as well. That money then goes back into the club, back into the transfer kitty, back into the academy, importantly. Um, and it all comes full circle. Guys, we're going to leave it there and we're going to come back and we're going to talk more specifically about Spurs in, in part two. But before we go, I just want to give, give everyone your, your Twitter handle so that they can follow you. So, Carl, your Carl, it's as I see it, which is one of my favourite <laughs> favorite Twitter handles. Carl, you agree. are WHUFC Youth. And also, uh, I think for you guys, you might probably want to follow my personal account a bit more, uh, kbarrett2316. Hopefully as well, um, I'm trying to get some more articles coming out. Uh, some of you might might remember me from uh, last year. Uh, Wendy retweeted my under seventeen World Cup preview, and hopefully, I'll have more content coming out in the future. Awesome! Thank you both so much. Very much appreciated. If anyone else is interested in in more about youth football, email us at the at the extra inch at the fighting um, beg for Kai and Carl to come back on and we'll happily do more youth football podcasts in the future. For now, that's it for this episode. We'll see you in part two. It's the fighting. Clock. It's the fighting. It's the fighting. Clock. Oh, that was really interesting, mate. Yeah.